Hey ladies and those gents who sneak and listen, this is episode 18 <laughs> of the Creative Outsiders podcast and I'm your host, Siobhan. The Creative Outsiders is here to connect the dots for women storytellers and basically we want to show you it's possible to live your filmmaking dream and we want to make sure that you're out there pushing hope in your films. So today I have the pleasure of sitting down and talking to Okima T. Moore. She is an actress, producer, who also writes, sings, and directs. She has taken her experiences as a youngster in entertainment, starting on Sesame Street, and has been fortunate enough to continue cultivating quite a life of experiences as an adult, including hosting on air for NY's WBLS, sharing an Emmy nomination for a single spot promo for the Rhode Island International Film Festival and completing her first solo written short film to be released in 2018. As of summer 2017, she has functioned as the production coordinator for season six of Oprah's Masterclass and has five different projects in which she is either an actor, producer, or director and a total of more than 40 festivals across four continents. This includes a stage reading that she directed and starred in for the DC Black Theater Festival. She has also been commissioned to write her first TV pilot by a seven-time Emmy Award-winning producer and is a producer on the new series, Little Apple, which will be a live action web series as well as a graphic novel. Okima continues to hustle and build her personal brand, More Than Enough Media, by creating new works for herself and others in front of and behind the camera. Thank you for joining our podcast and welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yes, me too. Um, When we were talking before we got on, I was telling you how I had you listed as someone that I wanted to interview for season two. And everybody knows that I'm a research junkie. And when I had the opportunity to go on your website and read your bio, which is popping, um, (laughs) it is. I was like, oh, I have to get my life. She is over here living. I had to ask you off top, how do you juggle all the hats that you wear? (laughs) Because you're a director, you're a writer, you're a producer, you're an actress, you're a singer. And I know as creatives, um, I've never met a creative, especially in the filmmaking industry, that didn't um, wear more than one hat, but you wear several. So how do you juggle it all? Um, Well, I had to learn. Because, you know, I started doing all the things that I do out of necessity, honestly. Um, In the beginning, I was just a singer and an actor. And I was realizing that as I was trying to grow as an actor specifically, there weren't a lot of really, you know, there weren't the roles that there are today. Like with independent filmmaking and how technology has allowed us to really thrive as a, you know, subsect of the big filmmaking industry, we didn't have that when I started because looking at me, a lot of people wouldn't know how old I am, but I am definitely older than you would think. So <laughs> when we start, when I started, you know, there weren't all these amazing female filmmakers and filmmakers of color making their own content. And I wasn't getting called in 
for the big roles. I wasn't getting called in for even the co-star or under fives. Like I just wasn't, I didn't have a, a, an agent. I didn't have someone giving me the opportunity to have that level of access. So I started doing all these things because I had to. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, I was all over the place. Like, in the beginning, I was, like, trying to do everything. Like, everybody hears that Tyler is, like, a writer, actor, producer, director. But what they don't realize is, were it not for people like Roger Bob and Tim Story, half of Tyler's films would not exist. Why? Because they are the people who are on his team so that if he's acting, they're directing for him. You know what I mean? If he is directing something, they're producing. He's also producing, but when he's doing one thing, there's somebody that has his back on that other thing. And so I realized over time, I used to have a business partner and we were, um, and we had a production company and we did very well. And then we began to have just different creative trajectories. So we didn't, um, we disbanded that particular company. But when I was with her, it was easier to juggle because there was another person. When it became just me a few years ago, it was like, okay, I had to learn how to compartmentalize myself, my time. I had to streamline myself. I couldn't say yes to everything. I had to begin to get very selective about what I chose to do, what I was going to do, and what moment of my moment I was going to do it in. Like right now, 2018, I'm majorly focused on Okima the Actor because I feel like I've spent so much time in the last few years producing for other people and supporting other people's careers, which I totally and completely love to do, but my actor felt starved. Mm-hmm. So 2018, I'm really pushing for Okima the actor, but Okima the producer is still pretty busy too. Um, and I'm really trying to get to a place, my, my like, in a perfect world with a magic wand swipe, I would be producing things that I am acting in and potentially writing on as well. Like that would be the perfect trifecta. Um, But for now, if I'm acting in something, when I'm in an acting space and I'm working on my lines or my character development or doing my backstory or whatever, I don't look at any other, I don't look at any other thing I have to do when I'm in that space. And I give myself that space to do that. So even in my home, like at my desk, Okima the actor is not allowed at Okima's desk. <laughs> Okima the actor can have any other piece of the house, but not my desk. My desk is for Okima the writer or Okima the producer or when Okima's researching for something. Okima the actor has no space at all at Okima's desk. So I have to, it sounds like crazy, but I have to compartmentalize myself in order to be able to give my entire best to what I'm touching at that moment. No, that makes sense. Um because I know for me, just in um, trying to juggle, especially a new project that I'm working on, director, producer, like it's mm-hmm. it, it becomes difficult <laughs> because you're like, okay, what am I focusing on today? And you'll find yourself all over the place unless you say, okay, you're wearing the director hat only today and you're only touching director stuff. Mm-hmm. So and I, even when, I, and it's funny, when I am producing something with a director that possibly is acting in something as well, mm-hmm. um, the closer we get to shoot time, the more I make them shut down whatever other part of themselves they have to do if they're acting. 
Like I remember I was the second AD and quasi production manager for a pilot called Up North. Um, it did really, really well at Series Fest in Denver uh, in 2017 and did really well. It went to like Hamptons and a couple other places. And the two leads were also co-directors. And whenever I knew it was time for them to get on on set on camera, immediately I'm calling my you know I'm calling my my AB like Boogie, you take over. Listen, I'm gonna need you to become an actor now. Put it down. Don't worry about what time lunch is coming. Don't worry about who's late to set. Don't worry about crafty. Like you gotta worry about you, the actor. All that other stuff is irrelevant until there's a cut. Like, I need you to focus. So I don't even just do it for me, even when I'm either ADing or producing someone else's project. If I know that they're in it as well, or they're wearing several other hats, when it's time for them to focus on the creative, I shut, I do my best to respectively and respectfully shut every other piece of them down but the creative so that they can go focus wholeheartedly on that. And we don't miss anything in the framing or the moments or performance or anything like that because they're doing too much. That makes sense total sense so y'all it can be done <laughs> you just have to have discipline and also mm-hmm. create boundaries as you uh, go further in your project so take us back a little bit because i one reason why and everybody who listens knows that i love reading people's bios because as a creative and i know even when you're striving it's very easy to be in the moment that you don't look back um, and that you don't celebrate Mm -hmm. your success. And I just want you to take us back to how did you get started as a person behind the camera? Um, Take us through that journey of you knowing that you were called to be a storyteller. Um, You know what? I, the earliest memory I have of like stories and storytelling, it's probably my father. Um, my biological father, I'm Guyanese and Bayesian. I grew up in New York, but my biological father, I spent a lot of the first 10 years of my life with him in Diana, between Diana and Miami. And I can remember being on his lap, on our land in Guyana, him playing the guitar. I don't even think I could like really, really talk yet, but I would sing with him. And he would like make up these songs <laughs> about me on his lap and we would sing them and I would laugh and run around the farm. And, and so I think I get it completely honestly from both of my parents mm-hmm. um, because both of them are my mother, my, though my biological father is a professional artist. Um, he, he has a roots band uh, throughout the Caribbean. And my mother didn't pursue arts professionally. My mom was an actress and a model and a singer and stuff too. So it's like, I can remember like stories. And my grandfather used to tell me a lot of stories when I was little. My grandmother used to make up these little funny stories and funny songs to get me through my morning when I was getting ready for school and stuff. So it really kind of permeated me early. And so when I was in kindergarten, believe it or not, um, I started doing these oratorical contests. That was back when being West Indian in New York was not cool. You mm-hmm. were either Jamaican, no matter what island you were from, you were Jamaican, or you were African. 
even if you were West Indian, you were African, right? <laughs> because at the time, people didn't realize that there was like a, they didn't know the delineation between like the different islands and cultures and so on. And so these oratorical contests were great because they gave me a chance to really speak well mm-hmm. and get rid of a lot of the broken English and any leftover accent or whatever. And so it was great. Like, <laughs> it was great because I got to really become a very great orator. But I think that those, you know, I can remember being in kindergarten, five years old, and going against, like, junior high school kids and winning because I was able to. And these were oratorical contests. Like, you didn't have, it was in a play. It was, you literally had to tell a story from your mouth, and it was either good or it wasn't. (laughs) And I can remember, like, I still, my mother still has all those crazy trophies. Um, My mother still has all those trophies. As she should. But I think that that was, because that's a mother thing, I know. Um, <laughs> but I think that's when the storytelling part of me started. Mm-hmm. And from there, I would just write. As I got older, I just, I would write in my journal all the time. Um, you know, I, I had a very unfortunate and traumatic childhood in between these pockets of goodness. Mm-hmm. And so I would always write about these things in my journal. And then I started like creative writing and that kind of thing. And it all just kind of morphed. And then like blogging came about in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I started doing that. I co-owned a magazine, one of the first digital magazines in New York. And that gave me the outlet to really start writing more and telling more stories. And I wanted to do it as an actor, but I was like, if I can tell the story, Mm -hmm. then I can create an opportunity for myself to tell the tales that are in my head and in my heart, but I can also then create opportunity to have somebody direct it and to have somebody act in it and to have somebody like produce it and make like, I'm thinking like, if I can tell the story, I don't just get to tell someone else's story as an actor and be that employed person. I can set up a situation where I can employ other people to help me tell the story in this new way. Absolutely. And so it kind of just started to grow that way. And that's, how I landed up here. <laughs> so did you take any classes? Because I like to give um, the women who listen like a good perspective because mm-hmm. we have, you know, a wide range. Like some people go to school, mm-hmm. some people don't. Did you take any classes, certificates to help you mm-hmm. in the producing, directing realm? Yes. Um, so when I went to, co- I wasn't allowed, funny enough, Um, even though I have been in the industry since I was a kid, um, I was not allowed to go to school for the arts. Um, Sounds crazy, I'm sure, but I was not. And so with that being the case, I was like, okay, I got to figure this out. Like, how am I going to do this? And so as a child, I took classes outside of school. And then I was able to do it as extracurricular stuff back when they actually had arts programs in schools. Um, I was in high school making commercials and editing and we, I was in a specialized high school, so we were able to do all of those lovely things. But as an adult, um, I didn't go to a conservatory. I didn't do any of that. I, my degree is in business management with a concentration in investments and security. Um, so I was all about, as Cardi B would say, I was about the shmoney. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well now what? I want to do all this creative stuff. My economics class is not going to help me. <laughs> Right. Um, so I started training. Um, you know, as a singer, I had been in, in training since I was little. I had trained with 
um, Malira. And those, for those that are a little bit older, they may know who she is. She had a song called Go Outside in the Rain back in the day, but her voice is stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, she was one of my very early vocal coaches and Craig Derry. And I've been with um, vocal coach to the stars, Ankara, for the last like decade. Um, so I've always maintained that I continue training in the things that I did. And as an actor, I've trained at We Sparing. I've trained with Wendy McKenzie, with um, my, my current acting coach, who I use a lot, is Tracy Moore, Mariska Phillips, and Black Nexus. Um, again, I didn't have the opportunity to go to a conservatory, and I didn't do it as an adult because, you know, bills. Right. Um, so I found, I just found, and then any and every I've done writing retreats, writing courses, writing classes, anything I could find that was a class or a course or whatever, I was there. Um, I belong, I'm a certified producer at Brooklyn's uh, Brick House, Brick Arts Media House. Um, and I've done things for the network side of Brick as a producer and a writer and a host. Mm-hmm. And I've done things for the free media um, community side as a content creator and participant. Um, and then when I really knew that I wanted to produce, I kind of fell into that accidentally because I was on a show and it was all over the place and I'm an organization nut. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, how can I help you? <laughs> it was before web series were a thing. It was like 2006 or 2007. And she was doing this web series and it was a really dope sister that was doing it, but she just she didn't have a handle on everything. And coming from a background as a C-suite executive assistant, organization and running people's lives and days was like my thing right um so I was like how can I help you and I didn't realize that helping her cast and helping with crafty and helping I didn't realize that was producing and when we were done she gave me a producer credit and I was like huh she's like well that's what you were doing you were producing I was like wait a minute I could do that stuff that I do at work for like what (laughs) I want to do and that's like called a thing hold up Mm -hmm. I was shocked so in 2012, I went to New York University School of Professional Studies. Um, they have a center for design, digital arts and film. And I got my certification in entertainment and media producing for film and TV. And I was the only brown girl in every single class I took, every single class. Um, but in 2015, I graduated the program and my professors, many of them are still very much akin to uh, lend me access to them for questions or advice or information. Um, some of my classmates that I've had um, have gone on to do some amazing things, but have also been, we've been accessible to one another. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty awesome. And, you know, I'll tell all the sisters listening and the brothers that act like they're not. Uh, <laughs> innate talent is amazing. And if God has gifted you with some things that are awesome inside of you to do the things that you're passionate about, go for it. Mm-hmm. However, technique added on top of that innate talent you are unstoppable you are golden can't nobody tell you nothing you can do whatever you want to do when you have the opportunity to have technique on top of what you already innately can do because what that technique does is it allows you to turn on a dime when things go nuts and figure out how to fix them without you know dwindling your resources whether they be economic or sweat equity however it is those techniques that you learn in these different classes and workshops, it doesn't have to be something extreme, you know, extraneous and really, it don't have to be fish. Like Mm -hmm. it can be a certification program or a weekend workshop or occasional classes, but those things that you learn, those nuggets and those tidbits that you get will absolutely benefit you in the clutch 
over and over and over again, whereas your innate talent is limited when it comes to problem solving a lot of the time. There are some superstars that can say that that is not the case for them, that they are innately talented and just get it. Mm -hmm. But for the rest of us, you know, subhumans, I find that talent on top of technique on top of talent that you're born with will always allow you to win. That's a good point. And I like that you say, you know, even the point of you can go take a weekend class, you can go get a certificate. You don't necessarily have to go like get a degree. Um, And I'm not knocking it because everybody knows I got my MFA, but I still would tell you like, there's so many things that I learned after getting my MFA that I learned Mm -hmm. for like a quarter of the price that I paid to go to school. So Mm -hmm. I definitely am though a um, big encourager of educating yourself and staying on top of the game because you to me can never know too much or learn too much Mm -hmm. and with you doing the certificate program what is one thing that you took away from there if you could share with us that you learned that you didn't know um I mean I learned so much that I didn't know but I think the most important thing I learned is that if you have the if you're working with other people Mm-hmm. and you have the opportunity to take these kind of certifications and whatever, um, bring all that knowledge home. At the time that I took this cert, I did have my business partner. When I tell you I photocopy every book, every lesson, every handout, she had the entire course with me because I, there was no way she wasn't in a situation where she could take it. She had a full-time job. And at the time she was taking care of her mom and doing what she needed to do to be, you know, to be awesome. And if we are in business together in my head, then we're going to get this cert, right. even if I'm the only one on the book. And so I say that simply to say, just bring everything that you get home, whoever home is, whether it's a business partner, whether it's somebody you're collaborating with, whether it's somebody you're mentoring and bringing up, you know, what, you know, are you pulling up as you climb? And if you are, then you pass all that information down. Like I'm a member of NYWIFT. um, I'm a member of um, NYTAS. Like I go to these meetings and I'm usually the only brown girl or one of a very few of us. And so when I get all this information and, you know, this may not be absolutely PC in this particular climate, but I'm going to say it because I feel like I should be honest with your listeners. White people tell each other everything and we don't. I'm going to give you everything I hear. We do not share. We do not share. We do not share easily. We do not share, you know, instantaneously because we feel like sometimes if we give another girl something that she's going to take what's ours, baby, what's yours is yours Mm -hmm. from the gate. Can't nobody take that. So there's nothing you you should count it not robbery, theft or loss to give what you're getting elsewhere mm-hmm. back to your own. So for me, when I go to these places and like when I had that certification, everything I got, she got. Mm-hmm. Now, if the person chooses to use it or not, that's on them. Right. But if I got it, you're going to get it. Why? Because we're going to be magical together. <laughs> yes. We are going to be magical together. Yes, thank you for saying that. But that's why, um, I mean, and we have similar stories. I'm over here nodding my head. But just how when I went for my MFA, I was the only brown girl, like the only brown girl and then the only girl in the program. And I don't know why, and I'm not saying everybody's like this, but I don't know why we're like that. Like, 
if I know it, I'm going to share it. Like, it's not going to do nothing mm-hmm. about what I'm doing to share with you. Like, we want mm-hmm. to get into the door, but like, if I got the key, you got the key too. So I just, mm-hmm. I hope we get better with that. Yeah, like, let's all put, let's all, if we all put our key on the wrong, mm-hmm. we could open all the doors. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, don't. I might even get on my soapbox about that because um, <laughs> we'll be all the way to the left. They'll be like, Siobhan, you did not <laughs> give us any more tips. <laughs> um, but with that saying that, um, I also, uh, and I think that I have saw it on your Instagram because I've been following you for a while, but that you were the production coordinator for season six of Oprah's Masterclass. I have so yes. many questions about that. So... <laughs> One, how did you even get in the space to get this opportunity? Girl, let me tell you why this is funny. So I was so fed up, right? I'm not doing enough. I'm not where I should be. I'm getting old. Just because I don't look at my body reminds me every day I'm getting old. Let me I can't wait. do this. I have to cut you. So wait, what is old? Because and nobody believes how old I am. And I think it's so funny because... I mean, I don't think I'm old. So I'm going to be 40 this year. Girl, you don't look like it at all. Not that 40 <laughs> like, looks old, but you don't look 40. I would have gave you like Amen. 35. Amen. Amen. And I think that most people usually give me 35 because once I open my mouth, if I stand there and don't say nothing and they don't know that I'm well-spoken or what have you, usually I get like late 20s, very early 30s, but mm-hmm. no, I will be 40 this year. So in my head at the time, you know, at this time, I was probably about 36, 37. And I'm like, Jesus, I'm about to be 40 soon. I'm getting mm-hmm. old. I won't do this no more. I'm not progressing the way I think I should, la, la, la. And I was just in tears. Like, I cry a lot. So I'm a huge crybaby. Um, and I was in tears. And I had I had cried myself to sleep one night, woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't go back to sleep because I suffer from insomnia here and there. I think every creative does. Mm-hmm. And... I turned on the TV and it was Oprah's episode of Oprah's Masterclass. And I had never seen it. I'd never watched the show at the time. And when I tell you, I watched this woman's story and I got out of my bed. I'm in, now I'm all out bawling, right? Like the ugly cry. I got out of my bed. I got on my knees. And for those that are um, into the word, you know, it says fall, fall on your face before the Lord. I literally got on my knees in child's pose and was on my face praying and crying and thanking God for showing me that story because I needed it at that moment. Fast forward two years. I'm at an IWIFT meeting. There's this, you know, lovely day. I saw that they were, they said that the director for Oprah's Masterclass was going to be there. Now, you know, in my head, I was like, oh, I'm about to meet this sister. She's going to be everything. <laughs> I get there and it's this tiny little blonde, blonde hair, blue eyed white woman. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take a half and get it. All right, cool. She told her story. She talked about the show. She talked about what she did and how she got there and blah, 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 how she started as like a line producer or something. And she forced her way into the spot because she knew she could do it. Mm-hmm. And they gave her pushback along the way, but she got there. And so afterwards, I was so enamored by her story. I just pulled her to the side and I was just talking to her for a while. And I told her like my goals and what I wanted to do, like as a producer, what have you. And she took my information. Now I meet sisters, sisters all the time that are doing amazing things and they'll take your card and yes girl and I'm and girl is crickets you will reach out and send you know craft your most creative 
funny sister girl, but I really respect you. So this is also respectful banter mm-hmm. female and girl get a thank you like <laughs> or nothing. <laughs> it has happened to me time and time again with EPs, showrunners, all of it. But let me tell you how a month later I get a call from some woman who tells me she is this woman's assistant and she has several opportunities for this season of Oprah's Masterclass and am I interested? Now what she offered, I did not have experience in and being that television, especially docu-TV was a new space for me because I come from mostly scripted narrative. I wasn't gonna lie my way through and look crazy in front of a white girl, right? Mm-hmm. So um, she's like, listen, I believe that you probably could do it, but I don't have the bandwidth to teach you in the process. We move very fast to get this delivery to the network. So I have a office PA position. You'll be working with me side by side every day in the office until it's time for us to go in the field. Um, and you can learn a lot. If you're interested, let me know. I knew I wasn't trying to really be a PA. However, my ego wasn't going to interrupt my opportunity. So I said yes. Um, And within a month, I got bumped up from, I had showed my value, and I had got bumped up from office PA to uh, assistant coordinator. And that was awesome because now I have, so what she did was she split the season. I have five episodes as the coordinator and four episodes as the PA. So those five episodes now go towards the 13 that I will need to get my PGA. So I'm super thankful, but it really was because I saw someone who I thought was doing what I wanted to do one day, opened my mouth, um, told her I was interested and was fortunate enough to have left enough of an impression that she circled back and really had my back and brought me in. And she could have left me as a PA doing everything I was doing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But she, as a woman who is so is such a proponent for women, whether you're pink, purple, black, white, doesn't matter to her. Mm-hmm. She saw me bringing my producer self to this PA position in the right context. Cause you can't think you're going to be a PA and walk in and just run the show. It doesn't work that way. But I made sure that my value was seen and that my work ethic was seen. And a month in, she was like, listen, me and I also found an ally. Our production manager was like 22, fresh out of school. She's also white. I was like, oh, word. Okay. Um, But at the time, she was the coordinator. Mm -hmm. And she and I made an alliance that we were going to bust our tails and make this work and fix all the broken parts and do our best. And together, I got bumped up to coordinator. She got bumped up to PM. Same time. It all happened together. We got recognized and it was bomb because we were able to, and to this date, that's my honey. Like that is work day. We still checking in each other. She's, I believe she's the coordinator right now for the, for the Leno show. Mm-hmm. Um, no, not Leno for, um, not Leno, David Letterman. She's the coordinator for Netflix's Letterman right now. So she's still doing it and I'm so proud of her and you know, I couldn't have gotten through the season without her and vice versa. And they couldn't have gotten through the season without us, to be honest. We really were the backbone of that business. And they saw that and were not too lofty to recognize it and promote us for it. That's really awesome. And I think that just always goes back to, to like, I like how you said that, you know, you weren't going to let your um, ego get in the way. And then like showing up and basically shining and not shining like girl I'm about to show you you need to <laughs> but like 
just doing the work. So I think those are like really two good nuggets. And for those who um, wouldn't know, so what were your responsibilities as a coordinator? So when I started as a PA, I was basically doing a lot of the admin stuff, but I was also helping with archival. For those that don't know what, ar what archival is, when you watch any of those docu-shows or even any replay shows, reenactment shows, um, those photos, those videos, personal photos or stock photos or whatever, Getty and everybody else, all of that is considered archival for the show. So aside from doing um, administrative stuff, I was helping to organize the archival. Um, this season, we had Steve Harvey, Usher, uh, Gladys Knight, Congressman John Lewis, um, Lynn Whitfield, Kevin Hart, Tyler Perry. Um, I'm missing two more, but we had a really phenomenal season of people. And so as the coordinator, all of the interviews were done aside from what we were doing. I was working on the production of the rest of the show with the exception of Gladys Knight. I was actually, I'm actually uh, credited as the additional photography for that episode. I did all of the BTS, uh, I shot all the BTS for that episode, which was mm -hmm. amazing. Um, to sit at Gladys Knight's feet with a camera and have her tell her story was kind of incredible. Um, yeah. <laughs> and baby in her concert, she sang Purple Rain. Gladys Knight sang Purple Rain. I was done. But um, <laughs> I digress. So basically my job was to um, help with, I, I was able to hire a lot of my friends um, in what we call dramatic illustrations. They're not reenactments because we don't really show faces. Mm -hmm. we, my boss is so dope. What she does is she, we use a lot of fog. She shoots through test tubes, through beakers to refract and bend the light in these really artistic, beautiful ways. Um, but they eventually, because I was also an actor and we needed, we don't think it's over, it's a big budget. It's not. We needed <laughs> inexpensive talent to play these people. I hired, I want to say at least almost 20 of my actor friends, young and old to play these different people. Tyler Perry's mom, Tyler Perry, LL. Like I was able to dip into my pool of actor friends and bring them in um, to play these amazing icons. Mm -hmm. That made me amazingly happy. I also hired crew. I had PA friends from when I was PAing. Um, mm -hmm. I was able to bring in my PA friends as drivers, as PAs. That was amazing. Um, and then also organizing the schedules, doing the call sheets, um, ensuring the logistics are together and that they're right for the shoot. Um, supporting the director in whatever way she needed. Um, Annetta is amazing. And it was my pleasure and honor to make sure that she was good every time. Um, and then when we got into the field, I was usually either the key set, uh, the set key rather, or the um, acting AD. Because it was a DGA position for her as a director, we would only be able to formally use a DGA. AD or second AD, but I was able to perform those duties because they were in my wheelhouse mm -hmm. um, informally, but still do the job. And I think that all of those things, being able to bring all of those assets of myself and facets of myself to the table is what allowed me to get bumped up to coordinator because even as a PA, I was doing all of those things unrequested, but I knew they were needed. So I just jumped in and I did them. It didn't matter if it wasn't my quote unquote job. No one else. It wasn't someone else's job. Right. It had to get done. So I did it. <laughs> right. That, 
That's good, though. And I mean, and I think that's always even well for me. And I know, too, because you have your own production company. It's just good to be able to put people in position that, you know, do uh, great work and that are creatives so that they can, like, you know, shine, too. So I think that's mm-hmm. that's awesome in itself. I was really happy about that. But I can say that for the most part, even independent projects, I don't think since I've started doing behind the camera work that I've ever worked on a project that I didn't hire at least one person. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's really good. So with you saying that, why did you decide that you wanted to create your own production company? Um, <laughs> so when I was working with my former partner, I also had some things that I was working on on my own, as did she. So we decided we were going to have our own things and this joint thing. Um, I knew I needed an umbrella for all of the things that I was doing. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, I'm going to start this company, More Than Enough Media. Um, growing up, I was a very insecure child. Um, I, damn it, I was an insecure adult. Um, <laughs> Just, you know, I grew up in a time where, you know, I didn't find myself to be a beautiful person inside or out. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't very confident. I was, you know, I had come from a lot of abuse. And so I just didn't really have that foundation of self-love and confidence. And so when I got older and really started to acknowledge my brokenness, um, I knew I had to do something about it. I've been in and out of therapy since I was a kid. So <laughs> it was not a new space for me, but being able to say I'm broken out loud and not be ashamed of that was a big thing for me. And so though my last name is Moore, the name of my company is more than enough because I've never in my life until probably the last year or so, actually, to be honest, I'll say to be honest in the last six months is when I've really come into a space where I know that I'm enough. Um, so I named my company more than enough, not just because it was cheeky and my last name is more, mm-hmm. but because it was a way for me to consistently say I am more than enough until I believed it. Um, and it was something that I could put on to other people and be like, you are more than enough. And, and I do it all the time in my hashtags, but so I was like, okay, I have a name and this is the company. What am I going to do? And I just started to realize that if I have this umbrella, I can create all kinds of stuff. I can write for other people. I can script doctor for other people. I can AD. I can direct. I can produce. I can, you know what I mean? It was just a really cool home base to hold everything that I wanted to do. And so, you know, I went in and and I started and it's growing. Um, at this time, I don't have a lot of clientele, but I'm not in a, there are a lot of things I don't do, <laughs> funny enough. And so I would have to outsource things. And because I've been doing a lot of stuff on the independent level prior to this year, um, it was important for me to keep things small mm-hmm. so that I wouldn't bite off too much. And either I was able to collaborate with other production, small production companies to fill in gaps for like someone to shoot, someone to direct. I mean, someone to shoot or someone edit and I could still maintain ownership of the project but I could outsource Mm -hmm. what I needed to other people but I feel like you know my ultimate goal is to get to a space where I'm able to employ um amazing people of color of all colors like of course black and brown people are my 
focus and my main priority, but to really employ people of color to, you know, do amazing things in this business and work that has heart. Um, I use the hashtag a lot, use your lowercase H-E, uppercase A-R-T. My heart, my art is for heart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to do work that impacts people, whether it's distraction from Darth Cheeto and his <laughs> minions, or whether it's education to learn about something from a docu-series or a profile that I'm doing, or whether it's to, you know, subliminally show people uh, ways to begin dialogue about hard subjects, whatever I'm working on, you know, I want it to have a basis of some level of importance or need. And I want to be able to employ people that see that vision and have the talent and the skill set and the desire to bolster that vision and add to that vision. Um, So more than enough media is very small and personal at the moment, but my prayer is to get to a place where I am, able to have a self-contained full soup to nuts production company that can do everything in-house and we can bring amazing people in to do it. Yes. I'm over here air high-fiving you because that's <laughs> my goal as well. So I feel you. I totally that means we got to figure out a way to work together. I know. Don't worry. You know, I will email you after this. Like, so but I, I'm glad that you said that and like brought up about yourself because everybody knows that they listened earlier. That was my first episode for season two where I actually talked to um, a therapist because it was just very important to me that creatives take care of their mental health. Um, my friends know they mm. know I will, if I could hand out uh, therapy for gift cards or for birthdays, everybody knows I would do it. I'm an advocate of it. <laughs> that's what my undergrad is in. But you said that emotional restoration for all creatives is a goal for you. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. So as creatives, we the world is only conditioned to consume what we put out. Mm-hmm. That is their job. They are there to be consumers. That's why we call them consumers. We make, we produce the, whatever it is, whether it's a film, a song, a product, whatever, they are there to consume those things as we create them. However, it is never going to be a job that they personally take on to restore us in that process. They are not here to make deposits. They're here to make withdrawals in terms of what we put out. So for me as a creative, I understand the highs and lows when work is slow, when you have to sit in that cubicle, when you know that you want to be making your, you know, next feature or short film or writing that next amazing script Um, and the emotional taxation that that gives to a creative, it is crippling sometimes. And that's why we have the Don Corneliuses and the Robin Williamses and the Phyllis Hyman's because they have gotten to a space where they're so crippled by the things that they feel they don't have or can't do that their creativity is not enough to sustain them. It's kind of like when you're in a relationship and you're in love with someone, but it's still not working because love just ain't enough by itself. Creativity is not enough by itself to sustain you. A lot of times we as the creative community, I feel it is our job to check in on one another and to bolster each other and to recognize when we ourselves are on E and when our creative colleagues are on E. Mm -hmm. Um, When I see certain posts, I don't post in that 
I don't make a comment in that post. I'll either call, text, or DM that person. Are you okay? How can I help you? What's up? Do you need to talk? I have a great therapist who's remote. Would you like her information? I make it my business to make those rounds because I know the times when I have, you know, been in my home ready to end it all. And as someone who has survived a suicide attempt, um, I know it. I know that that rock bottom is, that rock is hard. The rock in that rock bottom ain't no joke. And so to me, I feel like um, it is very important to acknowledge and begin the dialogue between each other about the creator, the, the emotional restoration we need. Because the same muscle memory that we utilize to create whatever it is we create is the same intuition that we should be able to then turn on ourselves to know when we're on E or about to get there. It's that same intuition that we need to be able to tap into to say, I need someone or something and not a bottle and not a pill and not an extra warm body to get all that energy out of. I need to do something for me. I need to put something inside of me, not another person's something. I need to put something in me for me to make me better. And I feel like we're not having these conversations. We have all these film festivals that happen and they want to do all these great things and talk about our films and accolades and all of this. Never once have I been to a festival that ever addressed the emotional state of the creative. Why? Why is that not a, a workshop? Why is that not a class? Why are there not rubrics for that? And so my passion project in the creative community is to come up with a syllabi that addresses these things with professionals and with each other so that we can ensure that as we're creating, we're also living and being, and we're also restoring ourselves. Because many of us create from our brokenness. Yes. And we are not at peace with our pieces, so we fall to pieces consistently. That's a problem. You better give this good word. Don't make me uh, <laughs> pass this offering on you, because you are over there with the word. <laughs> it's the truth, though. But it's the truth, and yeah. it, it's the truth. And a lot of people feel like, you know, oh my God, I can only create from this place of lack, or I can only create from this place of this place of pain. Yes, it's true. As creatives, we have the insane ability to be able to pull from all of those negative pieces something wonderful to give to the world. But in doing that, what have you given yourself? And what are you conditioning yourself to think? Everybody makes the joke that Mary's only amazing when she's in pain, and they think that it's funny. But guess what? Mary has been hurting through this whole divorce thing, but God said, I'm about to show you and the rest of this world that that is not where you come from. Pain is not your sacrifice. Here you go. Take these two Oscar nominations, baby. Here, take these Golden Globe nominations. Here, see this star on the walk of fame with your name on it. You will not be known as the person that only thrives in pain. God restored her in that way. But what if he hadn't? Who else was there to do that for her? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, who else would have been, who else was there to say, Mary, no, you don't only thrive in pain. We can't continue to think that that's the only way the creative is created. Mm -hmm. And we start that narrative. We control that narrative. So until we decide that that's not what we want to do or need to do in order to be great, that's what the world's going to think. And that's what they're going to continue to put onto us. Absolutely. You are, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to in the middle clap when you were talking about Mary. It's the truth, though. Like, I, mm -hmm. we, we do, and we even project it and we take it like, oh, okay. And I mean, I do think that's our gift. Like, we are able to take 
the bad and make it good and then like empower other people. But that's a very good point and a good question for everybody that's listening, that's creatives. Like you got to start looking at like, what are you putting back in? Like, what is the good? And mm-hmm. I have a really good idea, but I will email you about that. <laughs> Cause while you okay. were talking, I was like, Oh, got an idea. Um, okay. I'm with it. Yeah, but I, I think that's really good that you're even aware of that something that needs to be done in order for us yeah, to stay mentally healthy. Like, we have to. We can't, mm-hmm. it can't be the whole thing. Like, something happens to us and then everybody's like, oh, he was such a great person. She was a great person, mm-hmm. such a great artist. And then that's it. So I'm with right. you on that. So before we get to our famous last two questions, um, I did want to ask you this because you talked about it a little bit earlier and I know that you are a writer and I also mm-hmm. noted that you have been commissioned to write your first TV pilot mm-hmm. and it's by a, sev- a seven time Emmy award winning producer. So I was mm-hmm. like, hmm. What can you tell us about the pilot and how did you connect with this producer to get, um, I guess, called to do this great task? So my, one of my mentors, he's one of my mentors, mentors. Okay. And when they had, and the source material had come across their desk quite some time ago and they were asking for, um, they wanted to build it out because what they had gotten wasn't a pilot. Um, and for whatever reason, actually, it's because he's just a phenomenal human being. My mentor goes, okay, we could do that. Now, mind you, I had never written more than maybe 24 pages in my life. Mm-hmm. So for this man to tell me that he wants me to write an hour long procedural. <laughs> for those that don't know what a procedural is, it's like law and order would be considered a procedural. Um, anything that deals with like policy and procedure, whether it's Mm -hmm. medical, legal, whatever, this was, this is, this is law based, but it's very much law and community based um, about the African-American community and music. About as much as I can give away. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, what made you think I can do that? Like, (laughs) sir, (laughs) excuse me. Um, But he, for whatever reason, he decided to challenge me last year to do it and it was um we had the meeting in i want to say november of in like october november of 2016 and i had to turn it in by the first week in february of 2017 so i was petrified and i procrastinated for at least three weeks because i was like oh my god oh my god oh my god i don't know what i'm gonna do and then i have some really awesome friends and ironically, God just works the way he works in my life, I guess, the list, because a lot of times I'm like, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm a, you got this. Cool. Mm-hmm. So I got these amazing books for Christmas, quote unquote, randomly. I know it was all the divine design, but randomly. And one of them was writing the dramatic television series. <laughs> and so I girl. So I read that and I read story and I began to and literally I had some basic information about these characters but I was given carte blanche to kind of take my basic information and build them out as I saw fit and I was able to you know study the formatting and and I started to build my stories and make my boards and make my outlines and I literally had an entire wall of (laughs) 
of post-its. And um, I got my corkboard and my whiteboard and I started putting them all in order. And in two weeks, lie to you not, in two, from all of that source material and formatting and pre-planning, in two weeks, I was able to churn out 60 pages. Oh, you were getting it. <laughs> I was able to turn up because it got to a point where they were speaking to me when I wasn't even writing. It was like they were interrupting my life to tell me what they wanted to do. That's with themselves. the best thing ever. <laughs> yes. And I had never really experienced that because most of the stuff that I had written prior to that was short form. So I get the idea, I get the incentive and I just go. I don't premeditate. I don't really, you know, I edit after. Mm-hmm. And so to have to get to a place where these characters are talking to me in my day to day, like I'm doing stuff and I feel like they're judging me. I know it probably sounds like I'm nuts. But in my head, like, I'm doing things and I feel like they're judging me. And I'm like, wait, shut up. You don't even exist yet. Hold up. Excuse you. Like, so writing it that quickly happened because I had just gotten so ensconced in who these people were. And we've had since four versions of it. I've actually recently just asked to pull in another writer um, because I realized why uh McCole didn't want to write another season of chewing gum because doing it by yourself is hard mm. and god bless those people that can and i did the first draft and the first four drafts alone but i also feel like my experience is coming from place a and if i brought one at least one more person in from place b now we can add some nuance we can add some texture we can add some alternatives um that maybe that i wouldn't think about and so I have requested to bring in another writer so that we can punch it up. I've also requested to do some ride-alongs and some interviews with some additional detectives and policemen so I can get some more ideas and ideologies and nuances for my characters. And so that's what we're going to be doing this, this winter to spring is giving me and this additional writer a chance to pump up the script so that we can shoot something to shop it. Um, And I'm really excited because um, that all lends to a writer's room that I am actually an independent writer's room that I'm starting here in Brooklyn. Um, Because I feel like, why can't I? Who says I can't? I don't have to be on This Is Us to have a writer's room. I can start a writer's room and start creating our own version of whatever or our first version of whatever this public doesn't recognize and pitch that as well. And since I've not been hired to go in a writer's room, I'm going to make my own and hire my own folks and we're going to create and we're going to pitch and we're going to find ways to finance and, and, and sell this stuff and get it out the door. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just like, well, I'm going to every workshop about writing and writer's rooms. And I have some connects that are in these writer's rooms that I'm going to talk to about how it all works. And once I figure out the ABCs of it, I'm going to sit down and have these people that I want to be a part of it come in and, Every time we meet, I'll see if I can get one person that is in that space to come and talk to us Mm -hmm. so that we can make sure that we're working in the right formatting and procedures and we grow and, and, and that's it. (laughs) Um, Because nobody told me I can't. Exactly. Yes. You can do it. You can do it. I'm going to do it. And and when I tell you we are so like on the same page, I'm over here like, when I get off of this phone, I mean, with you, you, like, listen, (laughs) let's get this popping. So for all of our listeners, you already know at the end, my famous last two questions. So what are you reading and what are you watching right now? So reading, I am reading a book that one of my best friends gave me 
when I was like really a mess. And when she first gave it to me, I was not in a place to receive the information. I'm finally in a better place to receive the information. So it is called You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. So that is what I'm reading. Okay. What I am watching is um, actually, so I was blessed to be on episode five of this season of um, Makeup to Breakup. Oh. And so I am presently, yes, I, I have a really nice role actually on episode five of season two. So what I am watching is all of season one to catch up. <laughs> okay. Have to go, have to go check you out. Yeah. So that sounds good. So let everyone know how they can keep in touch with you, how they can support you, your social media, how they can connect. Um, how you can support me. Just keep good thoughts in your head about yourself and that energy will find me. I promise. Um, as far as my social, um, on Twitter and Instagram, it's the same thing at Okima, O-K-E-M-A-T more. And on Facebook, it's Okima T more. There are several Okimas out there. I know four personally, and I've come across <laughs> another like 10, I, I believe it or not. So if you put Okima T more, because there is another Okima more, funny enough, um, you will find me. So always use the T. And my website is more, M-O-O-R-E, than, T-H-A-N, enough, just spell real black, E-N-U-F-F, dot com. So more than enough dot com. And it's information about what I'm doing um, once every, it used to be once a month. I'm trying to get back there, but mama's been busy. I write blogs to encourage and support creative so and if you have any blog ideas or requests or would like to be a guest blogger on the website hit me up i'm always open to people sharing and also encouraging because it's not just about me um and yeah that's how you can find me okay that sounds good so everyone make sure you go connect support and show love you know how we do find our social media and then blow her up and y'all know please. that. Please. Yes, please do that. Oh, yes. One more thing. Please make sure Monday nights I am a co host for this amazing Twitter talk show called Blurred Dating. And we interview your favorite people. Um, we've had everybody from Malcolm Jamal Warner to Malcolm D. Lee to, like, you name it, we are, we've interviewed them. We have Kim Coles coming up this Monday. Um, so if you follow the hashtag Blurred Dating, you will find us 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we have confession, crazy confessions, conversations about all kinds of things. And then we get information on who we're interviewing. And then they give us some feedback on like their love and dating tips. It's really, really fun. So you can catch me every Monday as a co-host on Blurred Dating on Twitter. Okay, I'm gonna have to go up there and check it yes, out. Yes, it's fun and funny. I'm pretty <laughs> Memes sure are rule on our show. <laughs> I'm going to have to check it out. So everyone, thank you for listening. You know the drill. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. Go out there and live your filmmaking dreams. Also, you know, you can connect with us on our Instagram, Facebook. I told y'all I was doing better with Facebook. I told y'all I was going to do better. <laughs> um, and that's at the Creative Outsiders with an S. Um, and you also, I need y'all to... 
start leaving comments on um, iTunes, on Podomatic. Also, give us ratings. Let us know what you want more of, what we can do better at. We can only grow if you give us feedback. So once again, thank you. Make sure you jot down notes and then you apply it to your life. Until next time, just go do it. <laughs>